Podcast, Answer Man, episode number 196. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this is the podcast about podcasting. Helping you, whether you are a brand new podcaster or one that has been around since the beginning, every week I'm here to help you and myself take our shows to the next level. Got a lot of things to cover today, and I'm going to talk about my new web host. Well, folks, like I try to do as often as possible, sometimes I don't get around to it, but uh, sometimes I do, and this week I'm going to start the show off by telling you a little bit about what we're going to cover today. Uh, We're going to start the things off with uh, Walter, who is going to share with us his thoughts on the Edderall Recorder and some of the things maybe he doesn't like about it. Uh, Dustin's going to share why he absolutely loves his Edderall. I believe Santos is going to mention how much he loves his as well. Uh, Butch Gibson calls in with a question about Libsyn and media hosting, and uh, what about if you don't pay for it anymore, then what happens? And then, of course, we're going to take a call from uh, Steve over at Money Plan SOS, who has an issue with a uh, less expensive mic that's right up next to his mouth, and it's got that wet mouth sound. And Ray's going to call in and uh, ask us about uh, Q&A, adding Q&A to your podcast, uh, going to the question and answer format. And of course, uh, we also have, and I keep saying of course, I don't know why I say of course, but that's okay. We are not starting the show over. We must go forward. Anyway, Santos wants to know uh, what to do with a WordPress backup when your web host uh, sends you know a message out to your servers that there's an internal internal server error error. Should you be scared? Should this um, should this cause you great stress and anxiety? We'll talk about that. And of course, we're going to talk about the whole reason why I have moved all of my sites once again away from Bluehost and who my new server hosting account is with, and uh, whether or not I'll be recommending Bluehost moving forward. So if you're interested in any of these topics, stick around for this entire episode. And if none of that interests you, then I would just encourage you to shut things down and maybe check in next week, see if there's something more interesting for you then. So to get things kicked off, we have a rather long call, even though I uh, edited the call. Uh, This is a rather long call from our good friend Walter, but I think it's good to hear. I want want people to have the full, broad... uh, uh, review of the Ederall R-09 Ederall recorder, and uh, this is real honest uh, feedback about that recorder. So, Walter, take it away. Hello, Cliff. This is Walter. Uh, it's about the Ederall recorder. A uh, couple of comments. First of all, uh, I love using it. It's, it's very, very awesome. Um, but there are a couple of things that, let's just say, I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, number one, it's mainly one thing, is that, and this may not be anything that could change, but the Ederall, I guess it's like any other USB device that when it's in one mode, which is like recording mode, uh, you can't easily switch to uh, file transfer mode that I know of. My understanding is the only way it switches to file transfer mode is to plug the USB cable in. So when I need to record, I have to unplug the USB cable so it's in recording mode and then when I want to transfer the files, I have to plug it back in, which I know is like a complaint of some people who like to record on their computers because you just hit record and it's there, and as soon as it's done, you you may be in um, right in Adobe Audition and you're ready to go. You don't have to stop and plug something in and transfer a file and let it transfer and then open it and then all that fun stuff. So I know with Ederall, um, as I understand it, you have to plug the cable in and out every time you want to go from... um, recording mode to file transfer mode. And I guess my second point about the Ederall is just that the um, the little stand that came with the Ederall didn't seem to take that into account because the little clear plastic stand, you can't plug a uh, USB cable into the bottom of it and it still fit in the stand. So i got to pull my Ederall off the little stand, 
plug the cable in, leave it sitting on its side, stand it back up, unplug the cable, and put it back in the thing when I want it back on its stand when I want to go back into record mode. Now, I am working on the possibility of having some sort of USB type of switch where I can switch that on and off, uh, maybe with a simple AB USB switch, like for sharing scanners or something like that, but just using the Ederol on one side of that so that if I switch to the B, it would disconnect, and then it would go back to record mode, and then if I switch the switch back, it would turn it on where I could set it up in some way to never have to unplug the USB cable, and I could use a, a switch that has a little remote so I could pull it over wherever I wanted to be able to essentially use that little switch to flick back and forth between file transfer mode and record mode in the Ederol. Now, I've seen you online, uh, you know, like when I'm watching you live, it seems like you just reach over and do something real quick, and I can't tell if that's plugging in the USB cable or if you may be using a switch of some kind for the, for the uh, Ederol. Uh, I know this is an extremely long message, but I thought I'd explain to you kind of my struggle and what I'm trying to do to remedy the situation right now, work around for that one thing. So, Cliff, I appreciate you, excited about all the new stuff that's going on with you, ESPN, and uh, just know that I'm thinking about you and praying for you, you and your wonderful family. So, uh, God bless, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. All right, Walter, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the Ederol is uh, not designed to be f- really to, to function in its little tiny cheap plastic stand that comes with it, uh, which, by the way, I absolutely love the stand because I had the original Ederol before the R-09, and it did not come with that little stand. And I remember some of my clients who had purchased the the newer model of the Ederol that that is the R-09. Of course, it's an it's an old model now, but uh, still one that I recommend highly. Um, and I remember when my clients started getting that, it's like I first pulled it out, and I'm like, what's this cheap little tiny plastic stand? Thinking, man, that that's ridiculous that they would even include that. And I will tell you what, as soon as I, I set the Ederol in there and then all of a sudden, like for example, right now, my Ederol is sitting inside of my little plastic stand and I'm just glancing over my left shoulder and I'm able to just see as clear as day how many minutes that I've been recording. For example, I'm now at 7 minutes, 33 seconds, and I can tell right now that on the recorder, my voice is hitting a level between 12, negative 12 and uh, negative tw- 6 decibels. So I'm hitting right exactly where I'm. my goal is. I, ca- I can see that, you know, how much space is left on the card. I can see everything. Before that, with my old recorder, I would be laying my recorder flat down on the ground uh, or on the table. And and so therefore I'd have to kind of look over the the display. So it's a cheesy little plastic device that you sit the recorder in. But man, is it awesome! I absolutely love it. And of course, um, I you know it is in its stand. And currently I have the AC adapter plugged into the right hand corner, right hand side of it. And I have a one inch one eighth inch cable going from the CD slash tape output of my mixer going straight into the line in on the left hand side. So while it's sitting in its uh, stand, the little plastic stand, it's got the power, it's got the audio going in, and is exactly all I need. Um, now I will tell you that there was a time that uh, I actually wired up a USB cable uh, plug that was always plugged into the. Uh, Mac that I have sitting here, and then the other end of that cable would just be, you know, I, I actually had it tied off to where it hangs down below my table, and then I, you know, whenever I want to transfer a file, I would just pick the recorder up, open up the compartment at the bottom, and then take that cable that's just hanging below my table and pull it up over to the recorder and plug it in. It would it would pull up the uh, Ederol recorder as a disk drive, and I would drag and drop the file over. When it's done, I pull the cable out, close the compartment, set it back in its stand. That's what I used to do a long time ago. To be honest with you, I, I, I don't even do that anymore. I didn't even want the cable hanging around. So uh, because I have a 27-inch iMac, one of the newer ones, it's got an SD card slot built into the right-hand side of it. So I just take the SD card right out of the Ederol as soon as, so for example, if I'm, when, once I'm finished here, I'm going to hit stop on this recorder. I'm going to open up, I'm going to pick up the, the Ederol recorder out of its stand. I'm going to pull the SD card out. I'm going to stick it into the uh, iMac. 
and then I'm going to drag and drop that file over to my desktop. Actually, I'm going to drag and drop that file over to my Dropbox folder, which then it will get uploaded to the web and, and immediately download itself automatically and sync it to my assistant's computer's desktop. And then she will process the file from there. So that's all I have to do. And then as soon as that file is you know, off of the SD card and onto my Dropbox folder, I just pull the SD card right out of the slot and stick it right back into the bottom of the recorder, and I stick the recorder right back on its stand. And in fact, on Thursdays, I do that eight times back to back. So that's all I do. Um, you know, I just can't imagine trying to, you know, go through so much trouble just to keep that that USB cable plugged in at all times. Um, but if that's something that is a, a strong desire of yours, I you know, I hope that that works out with you for you and and stuff like that. But certainly, that's not what it's designed for. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so there we go. Anyway, um, I'm glad that you are liking the Adderall, though, outside of the fact that you would like it to be remain plugged in via USB all the time. I do know that the uh, Zoom H2 recorder, you can keep plugged in at all times, and you can go through the menu, menuing program to, to put it into file transfer mode and then to take it out of file transfer mode. But I will tell you what, um, no offense to anybody who has a uh, Samsung uh, H2 zoom recorder, but the menuing system and that thing's atrocious. Once you get used to it, sure, you know exactly what you're doing. The display is so small. Um, and it's, it's, and there's, there's the power button is horrible on that thing as well. Uh, you know, if you were to take it out and you had batteries in it and you stick it in your pocket or whatever, there's about an 80 or 90% chance you're going to turn the recorder on and your battery's going to be dead. This is, by the way, all of these things have been confirmed by lots of other people who went out and bought the Zoom just because it's cheaper, the H2, just because it was cheaper than the Adderall. And uh, everybody's uh, written back and said, yeah, you were absolutely right. And I went to go record and I had no batteries. I had to go to the store. Man, was that frustrating. So anyway, Dustin's up next and uh, he has some thoughts on the Adderall as well. Hi, Cliff. My name is Dustin Hartzler, and I am calling you today to just let you know that I finally took the plunge and purchased an Ederol HD recorder, and I am very happy with the purchase. The reason for this purchase is I know that I've listened to you for quite some time now, and you always say that you've never lost an episode, and I'm using a recorder, digital recorder, and before that you lost uh, several you know, very crucial interviews that you had done, and uh, I thought, yeah, that could happen to me, but I'm not going to be doing that much podcasting, so it shouldn't be too big of a deal. Well, last Friday, I had an interview with somebody via Skype, and I recorded the whole thing into Adobe Edition, and it everything looked like it was recording fine. And when I went to publish and save it as a WAV file, it turns out it repeated the same 10 seconds worth of clip over and over and over for the entire 26-minute length of the interview. And uh, so I went ahead and very frustrated at that point, and I went straight to your site. I used your affiliate link and uh, purchased an Ederol. So this is um, one of the first recordings that I've done with it. I'm extremely happy with it, and I hope that by using it, I will never lose another episode ever again. Thanks so much for all that you do for us, Cliff, and uh, keep up that great info. Once again, this is Dustin from yourwebsiteengineer.com. All right, Dustin, thank you so much for the feedback. I am so glad that you get yourself an Ederol, and uh, I hope that you'll never lose a recording ever again. I do want to clarify, though, on my Ederol recorder, I did lose an episode of a podcast, and I actually lost that episode twice, um, and the reason was due to an SD card that had been worn out. I had at that time done almost, I, I'm actually over 2,400 podcast episodes now, um, that I've produced, and I had put more than 2,000 recordings on one SD card, and that's like use you know recording 2,000 files, transferring 2,000 files, and you know formatting that card over and over and over again. That little SD card finally wore out, and I was so de- I was so frustrated when I lost that one show, and then then I you know formatted the card, and it seemed to be recognized in the card, and then I recorded that show again, and lost it a second time. Uh, but again, I, I'll i tell you what, I found out it was the SD card real fast. I put a new SD card in it and have not had another problem since. My recommendation is probably, let's just say, just to be safe, every 100 podcast episodes, take your SD card, throw it in the trash can, and go out and get yourself, I think for 12 bucks, you should be able to get yourself a new uh, 12 or 2 or 4 gig card. 
So every 100 episodes, just to be safe, go out and get yourself a new SD card. And uh, I think you're going to be fine. Anyway, moving along here, we're going to go to Butch Gibson, who has a question about media hosting and what happens if you decide to not pay for it anymore. Hello, my name is Butch Gibson, calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. And this question is for the podcast, Answer Man Podcast. I'm uh, going backwards. I'm currently on uh, episode 151. I had a question about your podcast host. If if I'm correct, you use a particular host that's been around for a while, and and you described how they kind of have a a rolling, um, not like rolling minutes, but there's a, a certain amount of podcasts that will stay active on their high speed server and then after a certain point depending upon your plan the the podcast would roll over to an archive server which is a little bit slower and that uh the way you described that it sounded like you have to have a plan you have to be paying your bill and that if for instance you didn't pay your bill they would drop it off of their server and i'm just kind of wondering do you recommend or do you put stuff elsewhere so that it would maybe stay out there? I know you mentioned there was a place, if I'm right, it was archive.org, uh, and that's a free site, but I wonder if, uh, is, is that like a, a backup, or, or do people do that? Is that something that, that a, a podcaster would do, put your stuff on a server so that it's active and, and then maybe put it in, a, in another place where it stays forever? Not sure if that even is a good question. But anyway, that's my question, and I'm sticking to it. Again, Butch Gibson calling from Cincinnati, Ohio, for the podcast Answer Man. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right, Butch, thank you very much. And, of course, what he's referring to is not web hosting. He's referring to the MP3 hosting, uh, specifically talking about um, you know, the Libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. It's the service that I use for hosting all of my MP3 media files. Now, currently, as of today, I used to have three accounts. I, I now only have two. I, I went down to two accounts because um, uh, I went down from 24 podcasts that I was producing actively down to, I think I'm about, uh, if I had to guess, I think I'm down to about 12 podcasts that I produce regularly, regularly that if I max out right now my schedule, I think I'm producing about seven, 15 to 17 podcast episodes a week. Um, and that's the max that I'll use. And so what I have now is with Lipson, I have two accounts that are, uh, actually they're grandfathered in. I have their 1.5 gigabyte account. I have two of those and they are each $60 a month. So I pay $120 per month for two accounts that allows me a total of three gigabytes of storage every 30 days on their servers. And, uh, yes, I do come close to actually maxing that out. But, um, so your question, though, is, is you know, what's going to happen if all of a sudden I decided to, let's say, not spend as much money and uh, I'm going to maybe focus on some other, other things, but I want those podcast episodes to continue to serve on without me having to lose them and re-upload them somewhere else. Well, with Libsyn, I can actually, you know, I'm paying, my monthly fee is really for me to pay for how much I'm actually putting onto their high-speed distributed network uh, content delivery system um, for 30-day period of time. And so if I did not need to add one point, or actually a total of three gigabytes of space to upload new content, um, and all I want to do is, is just serve archived content or content that's already been put onto their servers, well, I could at any time take both of my hosting accounts that I have and I can reduce them down to the $5 a month plan, which is the minimum plan that they have. And uh, so basically, since I have two accounts, I could take it down to $10 a month and all 2,000, now almost 2,500 podcast episodes that I have ever produced will all continue to be served for as little as $10 a month. Now, your question is, what happens if I stop paying that $10 a month? Well, what would happen if you stopped paying your cell phone bill? You know, it's it's the same idea. You know, you, you buy a cell phone 
<coughs> excuse me, for your business and you go through all the trouble of, of putting your phone number on your business card, your phone number's on your website, and uh, you, you've been handing out business cards for, for all this time, you've got flyers and, and all of these other things with your, your cell phone business phone number on it, and then all of a sudden, what happens if you sign a two-year contract with your cell phone carrier and you decide, you know what, I don't even want this cell phone anymore. What, what am I going to do? I, I don't even want to have that bill associated. Well, if you shut that thing off, if you don't forward that cell phone somewhere else, then yeah, you're going to have an issue where people are going to be calling a number that doesn't ring anywhere. Uh, so, so you're going to have a similar issue. And so the question is, you know, at least with a cell phone these days, the, the laws have changed in such a way that you can take your phone number with you and you can transfer it for 10 bucks over to Google Voice. And then you have free service where at least it'll go to voicemail or ring another phone number for you and all that other stuff. Whereas, so your question is, what do, you, what do podcasters do? Well, I'll share with you what I do. Number one, I make sure that every MP3 file I upload to Libsyn, that I still have a, a copy of that, the original file here sitting on my computer right in front of me. So I have a folder called Podcast Archives, and inside that folder has a folder that has the name of every show that I produce. And inside each of those folders has every episode in sequential order, all on my hard drive. So if Libsyn all of a sudden went out of business or I quit paying them or whatever the case may be, I still have all the backed up. I have all the originals here. Now, because I have an iMac, I just plugged in a, um, an external drive and I use this thing called Time Machine and it automatically backs up everything on my account. Uh, on my computer to an external drive that has a terabyte drive on it. And so all of my files are backed up there. And I also use a service called Black uh, Backblaze. That's B-A-C-K-B-L-A-Z-E.com. It's $5 per month, and it actually uploads all of the contents of my hard drive, including you know gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of MP3 files, which are my podcast archives. Those are all backed up into the cloud. So if there's a fire here in my house and my computer gets destroyed, my external drive is destroyed, and Libsyn, for some reason, decides that something's wrong or I quit paying them, I still have in the cloud every single episode of every podcast that I've um, recorded on the Backblaze servers. Now, the thing is, is no, I'm not going to back up to archive.org. I would never personally use that as a backup solution myself because their servers are so slow. I mean it. They are they are so doggone slow. They're not always there. And it's it's really not the purpose uh, that they're there for. Can you use them for that? I believe you can. And I believe a lot of podcasters did back in the day. And by, by golly, I sure, sure did know... When I subscribed to a podcast back in 2006 when somebody was using archive.org because they would have a 30 megabyte file, which would be their, you know, 55 minute podcast, and it would take an hour and 10 minutes to download. Now, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's just a little bit. I can tell you that for sure. So anyway, um, the the thing is, though, is is that I, yeah, just keep paying your Lipson account and and you'll continue to deliver and let's just say you sign up for their classic 250 which is $15 a month, and you decide after 50 episodes you're not going to produce any more podcasts, but you still want the archives to live on, well, then you can just back down to $5 a month, and all your archived content will continue to serve. Even if that archived content is 2,500 episodes, you're good to go. MediaCast guy in the chat room saying, hey, the $5 a month plan includes $50 per month. Does that mean that your total available storage space increases by 50 uh, megabytes per month? And the answer to that question is no. What it means is that given any 30-day period of time, you can only use or you can over the course of, okay, no, let's put, say it this way. When you upload a file, let's just say you upload a 10 megabyte file and you're on the 50 megabyte plan, if you upload a 10 megabyte file, that file is going to take up 10 megabytes of your allotted storage for 30 days. The, let's just say the next day, let's just say for 30 days, the next day you upload another 10 megabyte file. 
Well, that's going to take up space for 30 days. Now, on the second day, that means you're only going to have 30 megabytes left to upload files for 29 days. Okay, if you do this for, you have to wait 29 days, and in 29 days, that first file will fall off, and then freeing up, and if you didn't upload any more, you would then have 40 megabytes available after 29 days. That, of course, is unless two days later, you upload another 10 megabyte file, which then decreases. So every file affects your, every individual file affects your allotted uh, budgeted amount of space of storage that you have for a 30-day period of time. Each file is independent of the other. And so if I, let's just say, if you do 10, if you have five episodes per month that are 10 megabytes each, you're going to be perfect, or yeah, you're going to be perfectly fine, especially if they're spaced about a, about a week apart from each other. Because by the time you're ready to start the next month, um, you'll, the one that you put out you know, four and a half weeks ago, that file should be dropped off into the archive folder, freeing up that 10 more megabytes of space. So I hope that that makes sense. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's how it works. So it, there is no rollover. Um, there is no rollover or anything like that. Uh, you just get 30, 30 megabyte, or you get the number of megabytes per month on the Libsyn account. If that doesn't make sense, call in more questions, 859 859- Seven nine five four zero six seven, Butch. Uh, I hope that answered your question. I would just recommend continuing to pay. Now there are free solutions out there, but the thing is, is the question. Your question is, um, you know, what happens if you quit paying? My question about free services was, what happens if they can't provide you free service anymore because they don't have a good financial model to back up their free service? So no matter what you do, whether you're using a paid-for service like Libsyn to host your files uh, or if you're using a free service out there, it doesn't matter. My recommendation is make sure you have copies of the originals on your hard drive, and I wouldn't. Uh, I, I think you'd be in really uh, uh, good shoes if you were to create an online backup as well using Carbonite or Backblaze or Mosey or one of these other services. Let's turn over to another question. This one's coming in from Steve from Money Plan SOS. Hi, Cliff. This is Steve Stewart from MoneyPlanSOS.com, and I've got a question for the podcast answer man. Um, first of all, thanks again so much for helping me out. Back in November, I sent you a list of things I wanted to do and set up a two-hour session with you. And uh, in two hours, you got my podcast set up and got just about everything that was on my list done. No, you got everything that was on my list done. That was what was so amazing. By by the end of two hours, we were looking down the checklist, and, and boom, you had it done. So thanks so much for that awesome level of service. It was just incredible. But my question that I have for Podcast Answer Man is about the audio quality and the microphones. And I, I know how much you love the Heil PR40, and, and the more I, I read and, and hear about it, the more I love it too. But I haven't got one yet, and I'm, I've got a savings goal that I've set up to where once I hit this level of savings, then I'll be able to take some money out and buy that thing. But for right now, I need help to try and figure out if I can do something with the, what I already have. I started out recording with a Logitech USB headset, and it was working out great. It sounded great. I was able to work with it really well, and... Uh, but but the problem was that I started getting this wet mouth sound, this sound in when I'm talking. You could probably hear it now, and it's driving me nuts. So then I went and I I took an existing XLR microphone with a windscreen that I've got, and I started recording that way. But I get just too much ambient noise around the room, and I've tried to dampen it with some things, some cushions and things around the area where I'm working on the walls and stuff. But but that hasn't that hasn't produced the same sound that I'm actually getting from just this little USB microphone, uh, this Logitech headset. So my question is, is there something I can do with this headset to eliminate the the wet mouth sound, that sound? Um, and I am recording externally into an Ederol. Uh I do use Audacity as well, but the Ederol is kind of the end point anyway. So is there something I can use with this USB headset for the time being that will get rid of that sound? And thanks again for all you do. Um, by the way, I really love Business Tech Weekly. All right, thanks a lot. And, of course, he's talking about businesstechweekly.com. Uh, Steve, thank you for the question. And to answer your question, um, I, I first and foremost, you said that you had tried an external XLR mic, and then it was picking up too ambient, too much ambient noise. My recommendation is that you, or my thought is that you were probably using a condenser microphone, which of course is notorious, notorious for that. 
Um, you could use a, uh, a cheaper dynamic uh, microphone that, that if you put a big, huge wind screen over top of it, it might help just a little bit to avoid that. I don't know what you can do per se with the headset microphone other than what I would recommend doing if you're not doing it already is to take the the little boom, the, the actual microphone that comes in front of your mouth and point that down below your chin. So kind of point it down below your chin so that so that really it's not right next to your mouth picking up all of that sound. The only other thing I can think of is is to make sure that you um, that you stay hydrated. Uh, well, I would avoid caffeine as much as possible. Uh, it, you know, before recording or at least a couple hours before recording, I've heard that that helps a lot. Uh, but staying hydrated is in and keeping your mouth, you know, good and moist. That 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 is, is very helpful as well. But I think as far as mic placement, if you're not doing so already, try taking that that headset mic, pointing it down below your chin. And seeing if that doesn't help out just a little bit. And by the way, if you wouldn't have said anything at all about the noise of your mouth, I would not have really paid much attention to it. And that is a lesson that we all need to learn is sometimes we are we are always going to be our own worst critic. And don't let those little things keep you from creating great content. Uh, yes, I am a huge proponent of audio quality. I do believe that content is king. I believe that audio quality is queen. In the game of poker, I've learned that sometimes audio quality, or I mean the queen, will sometimes trump the king. But here's the thing. Don't let your pursuit of audio excellence get in the way of you producing content. So just continue to produce content and improve your quality step by step as you go. All right, next is Ray, and he has a question about Q and adding Q&A to his podcast. Hi, Cliff. Ray Baldovinos of Nikonian's News Flash Podcast. I'm thinking of adding a question and answer portion to my podcast similar to yours, and my thought was that I would get an 800 number and allow the listener to call that number and then use the resulting WAV file from that voicemail in my podcast and then provide an answer. But I thought before I institute that plan that I might ask you the question of what is the best way to do that since you're already using that program. Thank you, Cliff. I enjoy your podcast. All right, Ray, thank you very much. I think if you go over to podcastanswerman.com slash voicemail, I gave some options there. I think I, case seven, I did take off the the promotion of another service that I used to use for an 800 number. Uh, I tried an 800 number uh, for a, a long time, and you know what? I found that people who would normally call the the other number, they just called the 800 number just because, and I wasn't really picking up any new callers, and I went back to the old just normal phone number. These days, most people have a cell phone, and most of those cell phones have have their regular minutes where you're not charged anything additional for long distance. And so uh, it's, gosh, things have changed a lot in the five years when it comes to calling long distance. And so I've not really had a, a real use for an 800 number these days. And so I got rid of mine, although I totally understand where you're coming from. And if that's something you want to offer to additionally reduce the barrier from people calling in, just look up uh, do a Google search for 800 numbers. The one thing uh, are services that would provide voicemail with 800 numbers. The one thing that you're looking for is to make sure that that service that you have is going to provide you with a recorded audio file that will be emailed to you either as an MP3 file or as a WAV file. And most of them are going to be a very low bit rate uh, wave recording of the voicemail. And by the way, some services are better than others. And uh, what I would do is is see if you can find one that has like maybe I don't know if any of them have a free trial with with assigning you a phone number. But uh, certainly try some out. And and if you don't like the quality that you're getting, uh, you can try another one. Of course, I use a paid for service called Broad Voice. I do talk about Broad Voice. Uh, over at podcastanswerman.com slash voicemail. Uh, they are not, they're actually like a Vonage. They're, they're a whole voice over IP telephone service uh, that I tried out for a while, didn't really care for voice over IP telephone services, 
but I love the quality of the voicemails that come in. The all the most all the voicemails you hear coming in here are coming in that way, unless somebody accidentally calls my Google Voice number, and those are much lower quality voice recordings, by the way. Uh, but Broad Voice does a really good job, and I believe they have the option to add an 800 number. But because the service is not just offering, you know, a voicemail with an 800 number, uh, it is a full-blown service. I, I think I pay a little bit more. I think I pay about $16 a month for my service, and that's without the 800 number. So uh, there's definitely cheaper solutions out there. But, uh, yeah, Ray, I, I strongly encourage you to uh, try out the Q&A format. I absolutely love it for this show and some of our other shows. So. Uh, it's a, it's good stuff, and it's a great way to really help uh, build relationships with your audience. All right, we're going to move on to Santos. He also has a quick word about an Adderall recorder, and um, then he has a question about hosting. Hey, Cliff. Good morning. This is uh, Santos. I'm just giving you a call. Uh, this message is for the podcast Answer Man. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say uh, I received my Adderall 09HR and I am loving every minute of recording into that. Uh, it drastically has changed the audio on uh, the podcast that um, I record at endtimepodcaster.com. Uh, but my question for you is, I had a scary moment um, where my uh, server, or actually on my screen, um, this internal server error popped up, and thankfully, I was able to uh, call my uh, host provider and get it fixed through a live chat, but I was wondering, um, I, do have a, I do have a setup where um, my site is backed up, um, and there's an email with an attachment file sent to it, and I was wondering uh, for a future reference. Um, what do I do if, if something like that happens and the host tells me um, basically we can't do anything about it? How would I be able to use that file, uh, that backup file that's been, that was sent to me? I tried to open it up. It was a uh, WinZip or RAR file. I'm not too sure. I don't remember right now. But um, I was lost there for a moment, and it was really, really scary. Uh, to know that after all the hard work I had put into uh, getting the site to where I wanted it, that uh, it would just crash that way or it would just disappear. Again, um, I hope the message was clear. Uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing, and I am hopefully receiving the rest of the equipment that I ordered from you um, this week. I am in Tampa right now in a three-day training. So after my three-day training, I will definitely be looking forward to setting that up and taking my podcast to another level. Thank you, Cliff. God bless. And uh, hope to hear from you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Santos, thank you so much uh, for the call. And, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've certainly seen a lot of those internal server errors uh, another one that you're going to see from time to time is database cannot be found, um, and sometimes you're just not going to see anything, unfortunately. Um, and and the reason why is because of let, let's go ahead and and transition over to talking about shared hosting. Now, here's a couple different things that I want people to do if you haven't done so already. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is go over to gspn.tv/godaddy. Again, that's gspn.tv slash GoDaddy. All right. Now, that blog post is a blog post that tells you about all the experiences that I had had with hosting my servers over at GoDaddy, uh, on GoDaddy servers. Uh, of course, they were, I was using their shared hosting. It's extremely cheap. It was like $50 for a year or 60 bucks for a year. Super, super, super cheap. And uh, worked about, 85, 95% of the time, and when I did have a problem, though, I was having problems for days, if not weeks, trying to get things resolved and, and trying to get them to move, move me to another server. Um, I had had many of my clients over the years that were using other um, hosting accounts, and, and I was helping them set up their podcasting, and, and one of the services that people were using and I saw over and over again was a service called Bluehost, and 
I was always very, uh, very pleased with just how quick their servers were. But not only that, but there were times when I needed to contact their support department on behalf of the client. Why I had the client on the phone? They were always very quick to answer the phone. I always got somebody inside the U.S. that was very knowledgeable about the, you know, at least the topics that I called about. They were always very um, attentive to my needs and as far as answering the questions. And so I decided, you know what, this Bluehost, I really like this company. And so I decided to start up my own hosting account with Bluehost just to give them a try for a while. And I started out with virtualassistantpodcast.com. And I that when I launched that site, that's when I actually launched my very first account with Bluehost, which was just over a, just about a year ago or just over a year ago. And um, anyway, so I, I basically decided, you know, that's what I was going to do. And it was working beautifully. And then I decided, you know what, uh, I'm experiencing way too many issues over here at GoDaddy. Uh, things are pretty sporadic over there. I need my podcast answer man site to kind of be up and running all the time, especially with my digital products and things like that. I wanted to have that running uh, more smoothly. So I went ahead and went through all the trouble of transferring. I actually had to migrate all the information, the database and WordPress installation and everything from from uh, from GoDaddy over to Bluehost. And so I did that. It took a couple hours, got that all up and running and felt really good. And my site was running great. Um, occasionally, uh, there would be a time with Bluehost where my site might, you know, I might go to my site and my site will say something like server cannot be found or database error, something like what you were seeing there, Santos. But it would only last for maybe five or 10 minutes at the max. And that would only happen maybe once a month or maybe twice a month. Nothing to be overly concerned about. Uh, that's And by the way, that's to be expected on shared hosting. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. But then uh, what I decided is is when I, when I was writing the blog post over at gspn.tv slash GoDaddy, I had, you can read that entire post and see where I finally got frustrated. And even though it was going to take me an entire day and a half or really an entire weekend for the process of migrating things off of GoDaddy, I had to move all, I decided to move everything away from GoDaddy and put it all on Bluehost. And I did. And I, I had the great help of a good friend, uh, Jorge Cisneros, and he helped me in that migration. And I don't know if I would have ever been able to do it all without losing all my hair uh, without him. He, did, he, he was a great help to me. But anyway, um, Jorge and I, I got everything moved over and, and things were running pretty smoothly. Uh, I was very excited with Bluehost and, and stuff like that. However, about uh, about a month and a half into being with them, I noticed one Thursday that while I was preparing for live show Thursday, my site wasn't loading. So I contacted support, and as is usual with Bluehost, uh, support rec gets right on the phone, and uh, he says, yeah, I see that you do have an issue. I'm going to get the site admins to work on this. They should get this up and running within the next hour. Well, it was about an hour and a half later, and I still had about 30 minutes before my live shows went live, and it was still not up and running. And so I called him back, and I said, you know, are they still? Yeah. He says, you know what? It's taking longer than what we expected. Uh, they're, they're actually, you know, redoing something. They're, they're, I, I can't remember what they said, but it should be up in time for you to have your live show. Well, luckily, I mean, literally like minutes, just barely two or three minutes before I went live, my site was back online and the day was saved. I'm like, you know, a pro, you know, crisis avoided. And and so I was very happy with that. What I noticed, though, is over the next week between that day and the following thir- live show Thursday, I had noticed that there were periods of time where my site was down throughout the week sporadically for usually about a 15 minute period of time. And I'm thinking maybe they're just doing, you know, they're pulling it offline and working on it. And that's something that happens on these shared hosting accounts. You know, something happens with software or hardware and they need to replace something. They'll take your site down and it'll be down for a little bit. It's just the way it is, especially on shared hosting. And what happened was the next Thursday came around, site was up and running. And then all of a sudden I went live and, and my show crashed or my site crashed. And that day, my site was crashed and was down. And I'm not kidding you. It was down for at least five or six hours. And, uh, you know, I was in between shows. I was chatting with support. I called them. Uh, and they said, you know, we're, we're working on it. We're really sorry. We're really sorry. Um, 
And I'm just like, okay, you know, I'm not going to get overly concerned about this. I'm not going to be overly upset. I understand I'm on shared hosting. This could happen with anybody. So I just dealt with it. And um, I moved forward. And, and by the end of the day, they finally got it up and running. And I'm like, okay, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, let's just put this one behind me. And so we went two weeks with no problem at all. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe they've got it all solved. And then uh, last Thursday, my server was down again on a live show Thursday. And it was down for three hours this time. And I got them on the phone and I said, listen, you guys understand. There's definitely a problem here with the hardware of the server that you have me on. There's no question about that. It's not, it's not, my, it's not the number of people I'm sending because I know how many people are on my site um, you know, unless you've oversold your servers to the nth degree, my site should be up and running with no problem at all. Well, um, I asked them if they would move me to another server. They said, well, we have a no, we have a no move policy, which basically means they're not going to take you off the computer that they have your site hosted on and migrate you over to another one, uh, because that's, that's against their policy. And I said, well, you know, are there ever any kind of circumstances where you, well, in the most extreme circumstances, we might. And so that's what I was hoping is like, dude, I'm, I'm having the most extreme circumstance. Well, for me, here's the situation. For me, it was an extreme circumstance because I'm running a business that has digital products that some of them are, you know, well, most of my digital products are about $100. I have some that are more than $100, several that are less. But, but still, I've got people who are paying hundreds of dollars for access to digital video training products, and that access is on my website. And so, you know, for me, this is like, I can't accept this. This is not possible. I cannot continue to run the business that I'm running and have my site be down for, you know, more than 15 minutes in a single month. I can, I can, I can tolerate 15 minutes once, maybe even twice a month, but there's never a time where I can accept that my site is going to be down for as much as, you know, two or three hours in a given day at any time. That is just not acceptable. And so here's the situation. My, I have outgrown, not, not necessarily, I'm not upset with Bluehost, um, but, but I have ups, uh, you know, upset with, I'm upset with myself that I allowed myself to grow my business this way and not see the warning signs that, you know what, I've outgrown shared hosting. I need to invest money into a website that supports the the work that I'm doing. And I mean, I'm making a great amount of income from digital products and sales of that nature. And so, you know, take some of that money and invest it in a, in a web solution that costs more than $6 a month. I mean, that doesn't take a whole lot of smarts. And so it, it just became obvious to me that I needed to switch. Soon, it, it actually became obvious to me three weeks ago when my site was down for, you know, five or six hours. And I was just wondering, you know, is it going to be possible for me to stay on the Bluehost server until I get back from my cruise? And uh, last week pro pro proved to me that no, it's not possible. I need to, I need to make the switch. They're not going to switch me over to a new server they're trying to troubleshoot the, the issues. They're trying to fix it. I understand that, but I don't have time for them to work out those details. So I actually turn to another solution that's not shared hosting. Now, shared hosting, let me just explain to you what shared hosting is. Shared hosting is where there's one, they have this one computer in this rack in their data center. And on that computer, the, you know, it's got a, it's got all these, you know, resources have a certain amount of disk storage space, a certain amount of RAM, a certain amount of, you know, bandwidth that's allotted for the, you know, for the, you know, the account overall. And everybody kind of just shares those resources. Um, and, you know, you might have, I don't know, you might have, have as many as, as little as, you know, five or 10 websites or 10 hosting accounts that are on that one server. And I don't know. I, I don't know what the extreme is, but I mean, there's nothing in my mind that couldn't say that they don't have, you know, 70, 80, or even 100 or more hosting accounts ran off of one particular server. Um, the problem is, though, is that let's just say somebody else over there has a website that they build on. And, you know, if, and by the way, they're, they're selling these things at six bucks a month, thinking that you got the standard HTML site and that you're just, you know, somebody's grandma or somebody's uh, doing just a blog and you might have maybe 200 people visit your site in a month. 
That's what they're expecting. You know, but when we start putting these podcasts and, and heavy, you know, SQL databases with uh, megabytes and megabytes of data in them, and we're asking, you know, uh, the site to be generating content each time somebody comes to your site uh, and doing that several hundred times a day uh, with hundreds, you know, with, with multiple WordPress sites doing that, the, it becomes a problem where those resources start to run low. And for example, I have a, a client of mine that we built a site called ScarnerShirts.com, and he got some media attention. And his site went from having you know fifteen to twenty five uh, hits in a single day to where he was on um, you know he was mentioned on Fox News in a report. And the next thing you know, he's got fifty thousand people trying to to pull up that site. And even though it was, we even had the super cash plugin and all this other stuff. I mean, he he his site went down. His his server couldn't handle that. And guess what? All those other people who were on that shared hosting account, their sites went down too. It you know it it crashed and burned for a couple hours, and you know while people were trying to pull it up. I mean, sporadically, some people would be able to get in, but that that was a real issue. And uh, so basically, it it just opened my eyes that you know what shared hosting to run a business of any. You know, it, it's not the way to go. So the question, first and foremost, is would I still recommend Bluehost? And my answer is yes, I'm still going to recommend Bluehost. If if you are not going to pay for anything more than shared hosting and you refuse to pay more than shared hosting and so you're going to go with shared hosting, in my opinion, Bluehost is still where I'm going to recommend that you go because those people, they do a great job. They do have great service. And, you know, they will work to try to get your server up and running, you know, at any time that you're having an issue. You know, hopefully worst case scenario is that after a couple hours, they've they've fixed the problem. And, you know, if you continue to have issues, you contact them. They will work on it and they will try to get it done. I do know this, though. As much as they say is they, they don't migrate you over, I finally got them to email me to say that they were migrating me over, but I told them I had already switched away. I had already picked a new hosting service. But yeah, I'm still going to recommend Bluehost. There are plenty of other great hosting providers out there. There's still HostGator and I don't know, one and one. There's all kinds of shared hosting accounts. They're all there's a lot of them that are really good. I know that Bluehost is a great shared hosting uh hosting provider, but it is shared hosting. You are sharing all the resources of that with lots of other people. Then there's dedicated servers out there. Dedicated servers are on the other end of the spectrum. This is where you have one computer in a rack and nobody else touches it but you. You're the only person. Your your site, your account, it's the only account that resides on that server. And so you don't have to worry about you know anybody else. If that server has... Uh, you know, two gigs of RAM, you get all two gigs of that RAM. You know, if that server has eight gigs of RAM, that you get all eight gigs. I mean, if that server has um, a 200 gig hard drive, you get all 200 gigs of that hard drive. I mean, that server is yours. Uh, you are paying for it and nobody else touches it. And those things usually start somewhere around $200. So, so the d- dedicated servers they they start out at a, at a much higher cost. Um, probably totally worth it. E- even at my business right now, I may actually go to that. Now, I also had heard about this other thing. It's called a virtual private server, and it's a it, it's also known as VPS. Now, if you go to bluehost.com, you'll see at the bottom in the middle of their screen it says VPS, ter- you know, functionality with that at the at shared host costs or whatever. No, that's not the way it works. It, it, it they are, Bluehost. I called them. I confirmed they are not VPS. They actually have they they say that they do things in a proprietary way that's kind of like a VPS. They give you the benefit some of the benefits of VPS. But I'm just telling you, it is straight up shared hosting over there at Bluehost. It is not VPS. Anyway, um, a friend of mine, his name is Pat Flynn. You guys have heard me talk about Pat quite a bit. He moved over to a company called Servant, and it's S-E-R-V-I-N-T dot com. Actually, I think they're Servant.net, but Servant.com will take you there as well, I believe. Anyway, um, the, he, he moved over to them because he was on Bluehost, and he also runs a, a huge site and, and has digital products and all of those other things that need to be available all the time. 
And he actually gets probably about eight or eight to ten times the amount of traffic that I do on a on a monthly basis. So he he needed to switch over to something that would be more than shared hosting as well. He made the switch about a month and a half ago and told me that, you know, these people take care of all the issues of transferring you over from Bluehost. Um, and they will uh, set up your account for you. You pretty much just sit back and they do all the work and you don't have to worry about anything. And I'm like, seriously? And he's like, yeah. And I, and I said, well, with, with this virtual private server, do I have to worry about keeping the cPanel up to date and installing patches and, and all that stuff? He says, no, this is completely managed. They take care of it all. And I asked him what plan he was on. He told me he was on the $99 a month plan. And I looked over there and I saw what all they had available. And um, you know what? I, I read enough about Servant. I heard enough great things from Pat. And I decided, you know what? I am moving over to Servant. And I did exactly that. I, I used um, Pat's affiliate code. And I signed up for an account Sunday morning. And six hours later, everything on my, that was on Bluehost was then over on the Servant servers. The only thing I needed to do was go into my um, GoDaddy registrar, where I have all my domains domains registered. And I had to point all the DNS records over to there. Which, by the way, if you don't know how to do that, the folks over at Servant actually will do it. Will help you. They'll walk you through it. Um, or if you give them the information to access your your registrar account, they'll go in and do it for you. Um, here's the situation: um, virtual private server. The difference here is that there might let's just say there they have a they have a server in their computer uh, in, or in their data center. This computer that you're on, you're still sharing it with other accounts. Although, here's the deal. They never oversell your, your server. It is, they, they have a maximum of the number of people that they're going to put on one individual computer system, uh, the maximum number of accounts. And let's just say that server has 8 gigabytes of RAM. Well, they might put, uh, they might put five uh, accounts on that one server. And what they do is each account is limited uh, on how much of that RAM they get assigned to their account. So even though there's 8 gig of RAM on this account, um, that computer, you let's just say if you're paying, I think it's um, $50 a month, $49.99 a month, you only get access to 768 megs of RAM uh, on that account on an active ongoing basis. Now there's a burst, you can actually get up to like 1.5 gigs of RAM. And, and so... Uh, they always reserve some extra there for people who who maybe have a huge load. Like, for example, if I go to Twitter.com and say, hey, folks, I am going live with a podcast right now, and then all of a sudden 60 people all at once load up my site, it's probably going to burst the, the SQL database is probably going to burst that up to that 1.5 gigs. But here's the deal. Once I hit that limit, once my server gets to the point where it's requesting all 1.5 gigs, even in the burst, um, if it tries to do more than that, then guess what? You're still going to get a you know, database can't be found or server error or something like that, even on this. And the reason why is because I'm sending way too much traffic for the amount of resources that I have. But guess what? All the other people who are on that server, all the other accounts, their site will not go down because they still are guaranteed their you know, you know, seven, whatever, you know, they're uh, 768 megs of RAM or 1.5 or three gigs or whatever. They have all the resources that they've been assigned and allotted. They have those resources all the time. Now, guess what? A computer is a computer. Hardware is hardware. Software is software. Does this mean that now that I'm with Servant that, you know, if, if all of a sudden a piece of hardware fails that my site won't go down? No, it doesn't. My site can still go down if there's a hardware failure. But I am not paying $6.99 a month for uh, customer support or, and, for, and for my service. I am paying a lot more money on a monthly basis. And guess what? You get the support that you would expect to get when you're paying that much money on a monthly basis. And so let me tell you, their service, if you go and read about their service on their site, check this out. Their policy, they will not get off the phone with you until your problem is resolved. They're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
and every single aspect of their business is based in the United States. Not only that, but if you're really into the green thing, their their businesses went green a couple years ago. They're an excellent company, and all of my sites are now running faster than they have ever ran before. Uh, and I tell you what, I could not be more happy. And uh, yes, I do have an affiliate relationship with them now as well. And if you go to podcastanswerman.com, there's a link uh, in the products that I recommend tab. Anyway, I'm going to wrap things up. That is all I had to say here. Yes, I still love Bluehost for those of you who need shared hosting and that's the right thing for you. And by the way, if you are a basic podcaster um, and and you're just the average podcaster, you don't expect uh, your website to be up 24 hours a day, seven days a week without ever failing um, because you have products and services that are for sale and that people have paid for and they need access to. You need to make sure that you're consistently providing that to them. If you're not in that boat, shared hosting may be just fine for you. And it probably is for about 95% of everybody who listens to Podcast Answer Man. Anyway, I've got to go, folks. God bless you all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.